The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. And we're starting a new series. This series is called Living It Out. And I guess as you would read that or understand from that title, this is about us living out our faith. How do we live out our faith? What are we supposed to do? All of those sorts of things. We want to be a people who live out, not just a people who are called Christians. Oh, we're Christians. Oh, we go to church. Well, that's nice. But what does that mean? That's not really what it's about. It's about living out the life of God that has been given to us freely. And we want to see that being lived out in our lives. So there's something that should be different about us. There's something that should mark us out in society. You know, Jesus, when he was praying with his disciples just before he went to Gethsemane, there's a prayer that's listed in John chapter 17. And in that prayer, Jesus is praying for those who would believe in him after he passed away and all that sort of stuff. And part of that prayer, John 17 verse 14 says this, I have given them your word, Jesus is praying, I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world just as I don't belong to the world. But you know, the problem with many people who confess Christ is that they just seem as though they're just part of the system. They're no different from anybody else. And Jesus was saying, that's not how it's to be. I'm not of this world. You who have been called by my name to walk in my ways, you have been called to be my disciples, you also are not of this world. And yet we spend so much of our time wanting to be exactly the same as our next door neighbor or like our next door neighbor or like the person who we think, oh, if only my life was like that, then everything else would be right. We're not of this world. The kingdom that we have become part of is not of this world. It's the kingdom of our God and he is coming to take us to be with him where we can be in his kingdom forever. And so Jesus is calling us to come out of the world, to come out of this system and to be different. That's why, as you've heard right at the beginning, we have been declared to be the light of the world. It's not even as Jesus is saying, like, oh, I'd like you somehow, if it's okay, if you could manage it, could you be lights? He actually declares over us, you are the light of the world. Having come into me, having come out of darkness and come into my kingdom, I'm declaring you to be the light of the world. And a light is supposed to shine out. A light is supposed to make a difference. A light is supposed to overcome darkness. And that is exactly what we have been called to be. We have been declared to be lights of the world, and that is exactly what we should be doing. In the Old Testament, there's this beautiful, just short summary description of what God requires of his people. In Micah 6, verse 8, he says, No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. That's what he's told us to do. Sometimes we think, well, God, what is God asking of me? He's, he's saying this. He's saying this. Would you please do what is right? 
you know, I don't really need to add a lot of explanation. Well, what is right? We want to add lots of, well, hang on, am I walking? Inside, we know what is right. Because God has put a compass. He's put his Holy Spirit within us that actually we get a voice that speaks to us when we go wrong. It's that feeling of like, I don't feel too good. No, because the Holy Spirit is saying, that's not what you should be doing. We want to do what is right. We want to love mercy. Mercy is where you're letting people off the hook when they don't deserve to be let off the hook. Those people who irritate you in the office, those people who have caused you problems, those people who have taken your promotion, those people who have injured you, frustrated you in different ways. Mercy is when we say, I know what you did, but I'm giving you space. If it were not for mercy, where would we be? Where would we be? But God has shown his mercy. To love mercy and to walk humbly before your God. In other words, to allow him to give direction to your life. So that's what came in the Old Testament. There was this brief understanding. In the New Testament, of course, we get a different command. A command that we're very familiar with. Matthew 20, 28, 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you even to the very end of the age. We know that we're supposed to be walking humbly, doing what is right. We know that we're also supposed to be going out and making disciples of every nation, of every people group, of every area of those around us. We're familiar with these things, but here's a question. Are we living this out? We want to be living it out. We don't just want to say, oh, yes, I know that. Yes, I know that scripture. I even know where it is in the Bible. I can turn to it quickly. It's beyond that. I'm not even really worried about whether it's good that you do know where it is, but I'm not worried about that. What really matters is that we have integrity to what we say we believe and what we're actually doing. That is what really matters, that level of integrity. Kevin said, and I'm repeating here, he, we have been made new creations. It's not like, oh, this is something that we're looking forward to. You, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. Sometimes the old seems to hang around though, doesn't it? And that's what causes us confusion. The old seems to be following us behind. The old seems to be tripping us up. It is time for us to realize, listen, in Christ I am a new creation. And therefore the old has to go. Do you know why the old doesn't go? Often it's because deep in our hearts there's something that says... I don't really want to let that go just in case. I might need that. I like it. That's often a root within us that is a reason why the old keeps hanging on. If we really didn't want it, it's gone. I find it sad because I think, oh, is that really a root in my heart? That's why I'm holding on to things? Unfortunately, it can be. But we must remember, we are in Christ. We are new creations. The old has gone. And Paul reminds us as well. He reminds us that we should be transformed. And this transformation takes place in our behavior, in our minds. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Don't copy, this is interesting, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Hey, stop fitting in. Stop trying to be like everybody else. Stop following the customs. Oh, but I feel much better and safer, safer. In fact, nobody questions me. In fact, I'm embraced by everybody if I'm just like them. Yes, but you weren't called to be. You were called to display the kingdom of God. 
You are called to bring the glory of what God has given to us to others, especially those who don't deserve it because you have come to be a witness to him. That's what we've been called to be. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. Yes, please, by changing the way you think. By changing the way you think. One of the things we need to let God do over this time of seeking him is helping us to change the way we think. We were called not to live after the world system, not to live after what the Bible says, the flesh. You know, I've been living, I have been living a little bit in the flesh over Christmas. Yes, I'll have some of that. Yes, all oh, the sweets are there. Yes, why not? In fact, I think Christmas Day isn't a meal that you sit down to eat. It's a meal that carries on. <laughs> Obviously, one's waistline sometimes tells you about that too. But we are called not to be living after the flesh. That is the gratification of the flesh. That's just taking what you want to serve yourself because it makes you feel better. It's not always about our feelings. It's about our faith in God. And we haven't been called to live after the flesh. We have been called to live after the Spirit. That is what the Holy Spirit is asking us to do. The way He is leading us, that's the way that we have been called to live. To live after the Spirit and not to live after the flesh. But you know what? We're not the only people. This church and us here, we are not the only people of all time that have ever faced these issues. And we need to take some comfort in that. Many people who have gone before us have faced the same issues and had the same difficulties. And of course, in the Bible, it gives us examples of those. Israel is an example of that. They are a nation who faced the challenges of leaving an old life behind and coming into a new life, the life of God, the life of God's ways, being told about them and then being needing to walk in them. Israel experienced that and they had difficulties, which we'll look at in a minute. For Israel to fully be God's people, they had to come out of Egypt, because that's where they were held captive. But it wasn't just taking them out of Egypt that was the issue. The issue was also taking Egypt out of them. And that's the same problem that we have. It's not just say like, hey, let's live out our faith. Listen, sometimes we've got to get some of the old rubbish out, get some of the ways of the world, get some of Egypt out of us. Israel was captive in Egypt, but it wasn't just getting them out of Egypt. It was getting Egypt out of them. That was important. And this morning, if you want a title to this message, it is Coming Out of Egypt. We need to come out of Egypt just as they did. Uh, briefly, and I think many of you know the story, but if you don't, Jacob took all of his children, his sons, and they went into Egypt and that's because his son Joseph was there and he was second in command of the nation. And he embraced them and there was famine in the land anyway. And so they came into this place where they were looked after, they were protected, they were safe, they were fed. Everything was good for them. But of course time goes on. And they stayed in Egypt, they lived in Egypt, they grew, their families were expanding. And in actual fact their families were becoming the nation of Israel. But of course time goes on as we know. Governments come and go. Don't we know that in this country? But here, there's a new king. There's a new pharaoh. And now they realize, hey, who are all these, who are all these people? Who are all these immigrants amongst us? Who are all these Hebrews? Listen, we're going to enslave them. 
And so over time, Israel became enslaved. They literally were building the big cities, the store cities for Pharaoh. They were working like that, and they were under the kosh. They were having a very hard life. The story of this is you can easily read in Exodus. Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 and 5 say this, The Israelites groaned in their slavery, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God had said to their forefathers, listen, I'm taking you to a place where you are going to have this land. And it's where they were living at the time. They didn't possess that land. They didn't own any of that land. In fact, all they owned really was one small tract and that was a a, a place of burial. That's the only place of land they owned. There was no ownership, and God was saying, like, I'm going to give you this land. It's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. This is what you're going to have. But now they're tied up in another nation. Now they're slaves in Egypt. How can these promises come true? And that's the situation that they were living in. But there was still a destiny for them, and God was concerned about them. Life was hard. It was very hard. You can imagine that whilst they were in captivity, they would be thinking, like, where is God? And you can understand that for them. That seems sensible. I would be thinking the same. But you know what? Isn't that what often happens to us here? In the midst of our situations? In the midst of our difficulties? We often cry out. We say, well, I know there is a God. But then suddenly it's like, well, where is God? We understand why people would cry out like that. Because there's difficulties. Have you ever stopped and thought, what was their religious life like in Egypt? You know, I mean, we read about Moses and he's this special baby and, you know, he's, uh, anyway, he's all right. He's off with the pharaohs and stuff like this. But what about the other people? What did their religious life look like? Their life, their understanding of God had been handed down from their forefathers. And the understanding that they had was this, that God is personal. You can have relationship. The gods of the Egyptian, the sun god, the gods of the river Nile, they had these, uh, uh, Pharaoh himself was a god. They had all these sort of different types of gods, but the God of the Hebrews, the God of Israel, was a personal God. Do you remember for Adam and Eve? God, this God who we're talking about, he walked in the garden with them. He was personal. And so they shared this idea of they had a personal God. And not only was God personal in that way, God was like a father. He cared for them. And this is what they lived with. They, they talked about it. And they had a system of religion. It's not like they had church. They didn't have church. But there were things they understood. They understood this. Sacrifices are important in reaching out to God. So sacrifices, this idea of building an altar, having a place where you come to seek the Lord, to get hold of Him, to know His ways, that they knew about because that had been handed down to them from their forefathers. So there was an understanding of religious life and it was different from that of the Egyptians. The Egyptians were doing similar things because it was known that places, altars are important, a divine connection with the spirits. And of course, giving sacrifices is important to draw the spiritual realm. The Egyptians knew that. But the sacrifices they made were different. If you read through Exodus, uh, you find out there's somewhere there where it says like, the sacrifices that the Israelites wanted to make, they are detestable to the Egyptians. You see, because they had different types of sacrifice. But there was a system of religion that the Israelites were going through. Now, of course, we don't know everything about it. But we know that the Israelites 
had this idea of God being personal, that he was like their father, and that they could have worship and they could relate with him. But of course, when they were in Egypt, they were facing the challenges of the culture around them. And the culture around them was that the people were worshipping many gods. As I've mentioned, they worshipped the sun. They worshipped the gods of the Nile. Basically, they were worshipping anything that was providing for them. Hey, I'm getting provision. Because Egypt is a hot country. Egypt doesn't have a lot of water. Well, it does with the River Nile. But if you go too far away from the River Nile, you're going into desert. So life in water is important. It's important for your crops. It's important for your survival. So they would worship the gods of that. And as I've mentioned, of course, Pharaoh himself, who has this autocratic ruler, he was considered a god. So whatever he says, wow, that's what we need to do. They're living in a culture of many gods. And that affects the life of the people. It affects their thinking. It affects their ways. Well, this is what the people around us are doing. So why don't we do the same? Just as we have those pressures. Well, this is what everybody else is doing. Everybody else is playing this computer game. Everybody else is watching these TV programs. Everybody else says it's right. So does that make it right for us? Not necessarily. And we need to remember that. Because we've been called not to be part of this world, but to come out of this world. You're in it, but not of it. And there's a difference there. And that's what we have been called to. So they've got this culture of the Egyptians. They've got all these other gods that they were dealing with. And you know what? During that time in Egypt, there was probably a sense of this. As the Egyptians are ruling over us and as they have enslaved us, maybe their gods are stronger than our God. And you know what? Sometimes in the church, we think the same. Even though we have heard that the revelation of our God is that he is the God. He is the one above every other God. But sometimes we think, well, is that really true? You see, that thinking, that mentality, what's going on in life is similar to what we can experience with the situations around us. And sometimes we feel that. Is our God powerful enough? Is he as powerful as the Bible makes him out to be? Does he really care for me? Does he understand what I'm going through? Those are thoughts that we can have. The same was had by Israel. But that's where the Israelites were. They were in captivity. But God, God loves them and he brings them out. He brings them out of captivity. And he does it in a way that Israel could see that they were delivered. He did a mighty deliverance. They were enslaved. They were held captive. But through the sending of ten plagues and a mighty hand, God delivered them out of that nation. And suddenly they find themselves free. They're coming out of Egypt. And their first challenge when they come out is that they're faced with a Red Sea. How are we going to cross this? And that's in front of them. And they're turning around. And behind them, there's the armies of Pharaoh coming after them. I said, well, how, how are we going to get out of this situation? But God. But God. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. And so the Red Sea opens. Wow. And Israel goes through on dry land. The armies of Egypt follow, but the waters come and they are annihilated. What is God doing to this people? He is an amazing God. And when this happens and they see the waters coming back over the Egyptian army and it being completely destroyed, Israel is jubilant. Who is this God? How he has helped us. In fact, it's interesting, in Exodus 15, there is a song that they sing. 
And the first couple of lines are this. I don't know what the tune was, so I won't sing it to you this morning. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God. I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. You can imagine, they're having a major party on the beach because they see what God has done for them. How mighty is this God? And we can stop and just say, hang on. Let's just think. God had caused them to come out of slavery. They had seen his hand at work. They had experienced firsthand that by putting the blood of the lamb on the lintel of their door, that when the angel passed over in their homes, no firstborn suffered any death. But right across the whole of Egypt, animals or humans, the firstborn in every household died. They had experienced that deliverance. They had experienced the destruction of the armed forces of Egypt. They had even come out of Egypt having plundered it because they asked their neighbors, give us gold, give us these things. And they went out with all the riches of Egypt. They went out with all of those things. They had proved and seen that God was loving, he was caring, he was a father, he was mighty. And yet, they still had doubts and fears. And do we ever stop ourselves and think, well, what has God done for me? You know what? We don't often stop or we don't stop long enough to contemplate that. There's an old chorus that says, count your blessings, name them one by one, and even though I'm not going to sing it, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. If you remember it, that's it. <coughs> count your blessings because it will surprise you. If you stop and think... Actually, what has God done? Well, he has provided this. He has provided that. I'm thankful for my children. I'm thankful for my work. Wow, I did eat last week. I have got food in the fridge. I'm thankful. And suddenly, you're, wow, the blessings are piling up and piling up. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. But you see, that's taking stock. That's taking a moment to consider and to take uh, the thought of what has God done for me. And we need to do that. He has rescued us from darkness. Where would we be if we'd carried on in the ways of the world? Where would we be if we hadn't known anything about Jesus? Where would we be if our minds weren't being touched by the Holy Spirit to say, hey, that's wrong, you need to change your ways? Where would we be? We don't know. Lost is truth, Stuart. He has saved us from being lost to being found. The blood that was shed on the cross, which we celebrated this morning, has been and is our deliverance from sin. He has given us the right to be called His children, children of the Most High God. He has forgiven our sins and cleansed us from all unrighteousness. And He is our Father and He takes care of us. And yet, we still are troubled by doubts and fears and unbelief. Let's go back to Moses for a second. They've just been through the Red Sea experience. They've just experienced all of that. They've been singing on the beach. It's now three days later, just three days later. And they find that they need to find some water. They can't find it. You've got to remember, they're not in Bromley High Street. They're not thinking, like, I can go you know, get a bottle of water from Boots or from Marks or from Pret or whatever like that. They haven't got that. They're in the desert Okay, so there's rocks and sand around them. 
But they know how to look for water, so they're looking for water. But they can't find water. And you know what? It's now three days, and they haven't found water. And then they came to a place, and they find water. And the place is called Mara. And the water there was undrinkable. And when it's undrinkable, it means it's, 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 it's brackish is the phrase that they use. What they mean, like, it's like it's full of salt. It's like you drinking seawater. You try drinking seawater, that's what happens. You could drink it, but you can't drink it because it's going to make you sick. And the same thing here. So you've got water, but it's no use. So what do they do? What are we to drink? What's going on? Complaining, moaning, raising up again. Who does God think he is? We've got no water. What about you, Moses? What are you playing at? All of that is going on. Bless God. God call, or Moses goes to God and says, God, what should I do? And God shows him, you need to take this piece of wood. You need to put it in the water. And he puts it in the water and the water becomes drinkable. And so they have drink. And you know, at that point, God speaks to them. And he says in Exodus 15, verse 25, There the Lord made a decree and a law for them. And there he tested them. He tested them. You know, we forget the fact that God actually tests us. And what is he testing them? He says, I brought you out of Egypt. Has Egypt come out of you? Let me just see. Let me put you to the test. Let me see what's in your heart. Let me just find out. And he says that for them. And he says, oh, no water. Hey, what's going on in your hearts? Complaining, moaning. Oh, I see. That still hasn't come out. It's still coming out. You see, God tests them. And he gives them encouragement. He says, listen, if you will listen carefully. You know what? We need to take note of what God says. God tests us and God asks us to listen carefully. Over this time of fasting, of seeking God, we need to be listening carefully. God, what is it you are saying to me? What is it you're talking to me about? We need to be listening carefully to the voice of our God, and we need to do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands, keeping his decrees, because God says to them, I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians. God tests, and God wants us to listen. Okay, that situation is now, it's now just a month. It's 35 days since that coming out of Egypt. Just a month, just over a month. So we had three days, now we've got a month. Life has changed. It's a lot better. We're no longer under slavery. We're no longer having to make bricks. We're no longer being whipped and beaten. We're no longer downcast and forlorn. But we're also on a bit of a journey. We're not quite sure what's going on. We're not quite sure where we're going. Oh, we've got this pillar of cloud that goes before us. But what's going on? We're going forwards, but there's a confusion as well amongst the people. And they reach this day and they think, well, we've had enough. Exodus 16, 35 days after. There too, it says, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. Hello? If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. God testing again. This is just a month. 
Yes, it's hard. You know what? God takes us out of situations, but he doesn't mean to say, everything's going to be rosy. And you know what? We know that to be true. God has called us out. He called them out of Egypt. He called them out of slavery. But within a month, they're saying, like, oh, we should have died back there. It would have been easier for us if we'd died back there. I mean, for goodness sake, when we were back there, we had everything. Do you see how quickly we can forget? We can forget what God is wanting to do. I'm in a difficult situation here because I realized I thought only 10 minutes had gone, but it hasn't. And uh, let me just see what I can do. Just give me five more minutes and we'll get through this. Again, they're complaining at Moses and all that. Finally, they get to Sinai, which is the place where God comes to meet with them on the mountain. And they come to Mount Sinai, and this mountain is covered with fire and smoke. And Moses says, God is going to meet with you here. And of course, when they get to this place, which is the place where God wanted to give his laws and instructions to this people, he now, having called them out, he says to them, this is how I want you to live. And he gives them instructions, his laws, his decrees. And if again, if you're reading in Exodus, you've got all these lists. You know the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not do this, shalt not. This is how God wants you to live now that you've come out. Look, I've brought you out. I've given you freedom. Now I'm giving you instruction on how to live. I've given you instruction on how to live. Will you take hold of the instruction to find out how I want you to live? Because I've called you out of slavery. I've called you out of Egypt, and I want Egypt to come out of you. If we want Egypt to come out of us, we're going to have to read the Word of God. Because this is aligning ourselves to who God is and what God wants. Without this, we don't have the understanding of what does God want me to be. And as we read this Word, there's something that is living and active in this Word that empowers our lives and strengthens the voice inside of us that says, no, 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 I don't think you should be doing that. Hey, hey, let's switch this program off. Let, let's go and do something else. Let's get away from this. This is not bringing benefit to my spirit. It comes through reading the Word. It comes through the knowledge of the ways of God. And the ways of God and knowing the ways of God and not just knowing them, living by them, enables us to be light in the darkness. It causes us to be different in the workplace. It causes us to show, what was it? To show mercy where there hasn't been mercy. When you start to show love to people who haven't been loved, they begin to notice. First of all, they say, hey, what's this? And then they'll test you out. Is this true? But if they find this is coming from a true place, it starts to melt their hearts. Because God has said, love conquers everything. Love changes things. And love is the mighty force that we have. So there they are on Sinai. They get the laws. They get the instructions. God is leading them. And they're fearful of what they see because there's this awesomeness. Again, they're being confronted by our God is an awesome God. They're literally in fear. And they say to Moses, hey, listen, we don't want to speak to God. You speak to God for us. And we'll do whatever he says. Because they're so fearful at the awesomeness of God. So God calls Moses and he says, come up and to the mountain with me. And Moses is gone for six weeks. We're just under six weeks, 40 days. And in that 40 days, they turn to Aaron and say, hey, come on, we need some gods. Build us a god. And so they get their gold earrings together and they create a golden calf. Suddenly, their hearts are revealing the fact that there's still Egypt 
inside of them because they realized, hey, these are the gods we had back then. These are the gods that the people were serving back then. These are the things that they were doing back then. How often does your heart want to take you back to something you did before? Do you remember Peter, the fisherman, after Jesus had risen from the dead? But did they, he hadn't, after he'd risen, but they didn't know that he had risen. They'd just seen him killed. What did Peter do? He went back to fishing. You see, we have a tendency to go back to things. When it gets hard, when it gets tough, there's something within us that says, I need some comfort, so I'll go back to my old ways. It's not that you seem to have made a clear decision. It's somehow that something, the compass, just seems to draw you back. Because, you see, for them, Egypt, although they had come out of Egypt, Egypt was still inside of them, and God was wanting to test them. It's time to get Egypt out. And there they had built this calf. Listen, as we come into this new year, and guys, I'll finish with this. As we come into this new year, what we want is we want to get Egypt out of us. Because as a people, we want to be living it out. We want to be living the life of God out. We want the vibrancy of what we see in the scriptures to be lived out in our lives. We want that life of Christ, which brings change. It illuminates others' lives. It brings joy to others' lives. It doesn't mean that the road is going to be easy. You know what? God will even test us because he wants to test us. Is Egypt out? Let's just put you through a test. Let's see how you respond. I'll give you somebody who's a bit difficult. Are you going to argue with them? Are you going to fight against them? Or are you going to give them mercy and show them love? Are you going to give compassion? Are you going to give financially? Are you going to help people? Are you going to take the extra mile? Are you going to take that effort or are you going to say, blow this, it was better off when I was just looking after myself. Back at the pots, we had meat, we had food. How gracious was God to the Israelites. Every day they went out there, apart from the Sabbath day, to collect their manna. He provided for them because he cares for them. And you know what? God cares for us. He cares for every one of us. He's concerned about us. What we need to do is just to take stock for a few months. Lord, let me remember what you have done for me. Let me remember what you have done, how you have protected me, how you have brought me through, how you have kept me. The things that we happened to us last year, some of them were good, some of them were difficult. Some of them were extremely challenging. Some of them were a great blessing. But God brought us through and we remember to count our blessings so that we say, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't need to start complaining. Where's my food coming from? Where's my drink coming from? Where's my clothes coming from? Because he has said, if I seek first his kingdom, all of these things shall be added unto me. But we have to remember of what has happened to find strength for the here and now. But it's time, people, for Egypt to come out of us so that we might walk in his ways and that we might give ourselves to him. So I want to encourage you, take stock this week. Remember what God has done. Seek to hear his voice. Ask him to speak to you. And read the word and seek to understand his commands. Because out of them, there is life. And God breathes life to us. So in this time of consecration, let us come out of Egypt. Not keep longing for it. Not keep looking back on it. But let's come out and let's move in and go forwards to our promised land. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.